Well, again, we're in Revelation 22, so easy to find. It's the last chapter of the last book of the New Testament, and an interesting one at that. Um, in fact, I've entitled uh, the sermon today, Heaven Is. Heaven Is, if you uh, remember last week, that was the title. This is part two, but I could call it Heaven Is Here and Then. So, like, there's something that's going on then that matters here, or then and now, Heaven cannot wait is a good way to say it. Heaven cannot wait. There's much we need to know about heaven, and there's much we need to know about it now, right now, today. And the reason I want to say that is because when you come to the book of Revelation, you might have more questions than answers. Anybody like that? And I've come to chapter 22, and I told someone last week we were in chapter 21 talking about heaven, and I thought, this is going to be the good part, it's going to be so easy, and it took me about 40 hours to finally come up with a sermon on heaven on Easter. Um, and that's, that's because there's so much there that I don't have answers for. I don't understand everything about heaven, and nobody does. In fact, we certainly have more questions than we do have answers. Uh, heaven is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and yet we still aren't clear about everything concerning heaven. Even when we get there, we'll have perfect knowledge, but we won't know everything. You say, what do you mean by that? How can you have perfect knowledge and not know everything? I don't know. I don't know how my Lord and Savior, Jesus, came to earth and was God in flesh, therefore the sovereign incarnate God, and said, of that day and hour that I'm coming back, I don't know. How does he have perfect knowledge that he could read the Pharisee's heart, not know? Well, he had perfect knowledge and yet he didn't know, and so in heaven we're going to be like that, and there's a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. But this is so good, coming to Revelation, because at 22, we begin to understand what fits together and how it fits together when we read all of Revelation. There are questions that even second graders ask that I can't answer, and I know that because I got a lot of questions from second graders this week. Here's some questions I got from second graders concerning heaven. Does Jesus have any problems? Do do we sleep in heaven? Are there pets in heaven? I don't know the answer to that. I sure hope so. Um, how does God see through the ceiling? I've often thought that. How, here's a great question. How does God hear all of us at the same time? Heaven is that place where all of these things will come past. We'll, we'll understand better by and by. It's an incredible place. So incredible that the Apostle Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I cannot wait. I'm in a strait. I'm in this dilemma. Like I know I ought to stay alive for your benefit, Paul said, but I want to go on to go. I want to go on to be with the Lord in heaven. How wonderful must heaven be for someone to say like that? I mean, it is going to be a foreign place. We've never been there before, but I'm convinced what I read in the Bible is that though it's foreign, it will be familiar to us. We'll look around and it's as if we've been there all along. It's so distant but it'll feel like home. It's distant, but it will feel like home, and we'll know we belong there when we get there. It's so vast, but will be so intimate. The word for heaven in the Old Testament has the idea of the sky, and when we read the Old Testament about the sky and God in comparison, we see that God is greater than the sky, or the sky can't even contain God. It's, he's more vast 
than the sky. And even when we read about the heavens and we read about the abode of God being in the heaven, we realize that God cannot be contained by a city, the New Jerusalem, as big as it is, or the earth that will contain the New Jerusalem, or all of the galaxies that will be remade when he's here. God's bigger than all of that. And yet, as big as all of this galaxy, all this universe is, all that galaxies are, he's bigger. Uh, it's just amazing to think about our galaxies. We are about 93 million miles from the sun. 93 million miles from the sun. Just the exact distance from the sun we need to be to be warm during the day and a little bit cool at night. And uh, we're getting a little closer to the sun. And in Florida, we're going to get real close to it pretty soon. 93 million miles away, but the closest galaxy to our own galaxy is 2.2 million light years away. The closest galaxy to our galaxy is 2.2 million light years away. Well, how far is that? Well, if you could get on like a a monorail, uh, some sort of shuttle, and and that monorail could travel at 18,000 miles per hour, that'd be pretty quick. It would take you 37,200 years, 37,200 years just to travel one light year. And the next closest galaxy to us is 2.2 million light years away. So when we asked the question earlier, is there anything our God cannot do? The answer is no, because he's bigger than the universe. Like the the galaxies, as large as they are, can't even contain God. And yet he's intimate. This is what's staggering. That when we get to heaven, God is going to be so vast that we'll never be able to finish exploring him yet so close that we'll have deep abiding fellowship with him. We went to a a Jaguars game one one year and sitting in the stands and the crowd of people with a group of people that were from the opposing team only to find out their their son played on the team and not only the son but the, the wife of that player was in the crowd too. And so here we are, we're just in the crowd, we're just cheering, but they had a different relationship with people on the field. In fact, a different relationship with one person in particular, so much so that one time he actually waved up into the stands at his wife. She said, he's waving at me. I said, he's waving at me. She laughed. He, he's waved. She had a different relationship in that crowd. That's the way it's going to be in heaven. It's going to be so big and so vast and yet so intimate. So I'm going to jump into this, and I hope you came thirsty, because I'm going to, I told somebody, I'm already a fire hydrant about to open up. So are you ready? Are you ready? Because I think chapter 22 is like, how do we put all this together? And I'm going to give you some words. They all start with S for the most part. And the first word is this. So if you're taking notes, this I think will help you put all of this together. And even why Revelation is such a blessing, the first one is this, source, source, source. All right, help us understand what you mean by that. Well, let's look what John says. Verse 1, then the angel showed me a river of the water of life. Y'all see that? Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street. This reminds me of Genesis in the garden in Genesis 2.10. Out of the Garden of Eden, there was a water and it was divided, that river, into four rivers this river in the New Jerusalem is going to go right down the street. We were downtown Jacksonville with my parents this past week for a surgery. And we were right next to the river. And my dad said, the river really makes this city. The river is going to make this city that we're reading about, the New Jerusalem. Why? Because it flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. 
The throne of God means God rules. He rules everything. This big God is in control. But the lamb on the throne reminds us he redeems. And from the throne of God and from the throne of the lamb is this precious, refreshing water. Clear. And the language in the Greek is sparkling. And I love sparkling water because it is so refreshing. That's the idea. That from God's throne is constant refreshment. It is the source then of life and living. God is the source of life. He created us from dust. He breathes into us life. He gives us eternal life and then will be the source of that life forever and ever and ever. So think about this word source. God is the source of life. From him flows all of life. It led Paul to this doxology in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. And from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I love that. It all belongs to him. It's all going to him. And he has it all. And in heaven, throughout all of eternity, all life will exist because of him who rules on a throne and is regularly redeeming us throughout eternity. Here's another way to say it. Refreshing our souls every single day. You'll never be wore out and you'll never be wrung out in heaven. You'll be refreshed every single day. You say, well, that's great, man. I'm looking forward to that day. Calgon, take me away. Come on. But even now, even now, like then he will refresh our soul. Even now he refreshes our soul. He makes us sometimes lie down, but he refreshes our soul. Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him all things hold together. In this universe, he is prominent, preeminent, and in heaven he will be forever. In heaven we see from the throne this unpolluted river flowing forever, and the point is this, he is the source of life. And in heaven there will be no pollution in that river, no runoff in that river. River, No algae blooms, no red tide in that river, y'all. Why? Because no sin. We read in verse 3, nothing cursed in that city. You are really, really thirsty. Maybe you were cutting the grass and you got really, really thirsty and you thought, you know, I am so thirsty right now. And right next to us here in Clay County is this incredible river running north, the St. John's River. That just seems so refreshing. I think I'll just go get me a glass and get a dip of water out of the St. John's River and drink it. I would not recommend it. You can get in the river, I just don't think you ought to let it get in you. That's a good metaphor for the world. But the source of the river, you can drink. Some of you have been there. Some of you have gone there and you're like, look at these springs bubbling up. Let's check them out. Let's go to Salt Springs. Let's go down to Blue Springs. Let's go down and look at some of these springs where water's coming up from the limestone, filtered out by God's own finger. You can drink that water that flows into the river. If you go to the source of the river, you can drink. Well, the world here that we live in is full of pollutants, full of all types of runoff that goes into the river of life. And if we're not careful, this river that we float in called the world can get inside of us if we allow it. And the pollutants of this world 
began to, began to disturb and to destroy the life-giving source that's within us. What do you mean by that? Let me tell you this. Everything that God's given us is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And when it comes down to us, it is wonderful. Think about it for just a moment. What has God given you? Everything that he's given you is good. Sexual intimacy is good. But the world has a lot of runoffs to that sexual intimacy and pollutes the river of sexual intimacy. It is why some of you men cannot be satisfied with your wife. You allow the pollutants of pornography to come into your mind and your heart, and you can't be satisfied with the wife of your youth. What God gave you as a good and godly gift has become polluted with a wickedness runoff and sin of this world. Intimacy is destroyed whenever we begin to get involved in types of behaviors that are destructive. There are destructive behaviors like comparison compulsive behavior. What is that? I just made it up. I just thought there are all of these behaviorals that are being made up. I'll make one up too. That's where we just begin to always compare ourselves to everyone else and what they have and what they're doing, what their life is like. And after a while, we allow the runoff of that pollution to get involved in our life and we forget our identity is not in what we have, where we live, or what we experience. But our identity is in Christ. And when we find our identity in Christ and we are made uniquely and special like no one else, it's the reason you're the height you are and the length you are. It's the reason you talk the way you talk. It's the reason you think the way you think. God created you and uniquely created you and for you to compare yourself to another creation is nothing more than allowing the pollutants of this world to corrupt the source of life that's inside of you god has given you incredible life in christ and the bible tells us this we ought to go to that fountainhead of worship fountainhead of worship i'm grateful for the songs that carlos put together today for noah to lead us in because we weren't really thinking about what we were doing when we came in here and sang. we thought about what god was doing and last week i asked you uh, this question, how are you faithing? Because sometimes in church people ask you how you're feeling and how you're feeling doesn't really matter. When I said that, some of you looked to be weird. Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes I come to church and I don't feel real good. And I got to fake it till I make it because I'm the preacher. I heard about a preacher that was sleeping in and his wife said, you better get up, it's late. He goes, I'm sleeping in today, but you can't. It's church day. He said, I know, but I, 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 I just really don't want to go. She said, yeah, but you're the, you're the preacher. Have you ever had a day like that at church? Maybe it was today. Maybe you spilled coffee on your white shirt, had to change it. Maybe someone cut you off in traffic and they had a Hibernia sticker on their car. (laughs) Maybe you ran over one of our one million orange cones out there. And And then you come in here and someone's sitting in your seat. You don't have a seat, do you, by the way? You're like, I just... And then someone, and we're going to get up here and we're going to talk about what we're going to sing to God. And we're going to say, hey, God, I'm so glad I'm here. I'm going to give you all my life. I surrender all. I lift my hands to you. I, no, I don't need that. I need, to, I need to hear about how great is our God. I need to hear about our God is amazing. I need to hear about every knee will bow and every tongue will confess how great thou art. That's what I need to sing because you know what? I'm not that great. And some days I don't even feel great. Sometimes I don't even feel human. He's a source of life. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Like, why are you joyful, man? Why are you joyful, lady? Because I've been to the source of life. It's a springhead, and it's flowing up out of me. I think it's too very important for grandparents and parents to hear that we ought to lead our family to the source of life and build a fence around that source of life. 
Out of the heart flows the issues of life, Proverbs says. One old shepherd was next to a young shepherd who has complaining that his flock was always sick and needing help. The old shepherd grabbed the young shepherd by the arm and said, come with me, and took him up to the high mountain. He said, look here, do you understand what's going on? There was the fountainhead of the river. At the fountainhead of the river, all types of wild animals were bathing and doing their thing and contaminating the water, so no wonder his animals were getting sick downstream. The older shepherd said, if you want your you want your flock to be healthy? You need to build a fence around the fountainhead. Keep it pure so that downstream your flock can have clean water. There's probably never been a day like our day that we've got to build around our houses fences at the springhead because there is so, so much that Satan wants to pollute our rivers of living water with, whether it's ideologies, our thoughts, our philosophies of this world, to change definitions of those things which are sacred. And parents, we have better, we have better put a fence around the springhead of life, which is God for our kids so that they don't drink polluted water downstream. He's the source of life. There is a river, y'all. Second word here, I've got to go, 10 o'clock, sustenance. Look at verse 2. Though the middle of the street, there's also on either side a river, the tree of life, and it's 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month, the leaves of the tree worth for the healing of the nations. This is an interesting verse. And I used here a word sustenance. So in heaven, source, he's the source of life. He is a source of life now. He's also our sustenance. And I like the arrangement of this landscape. We have a river going down the middle of the city, streets on either side, also on the banks, the trees of life. And I think they are trees here. That's the arrangement. It reminds us of Genesis again. Chapter 2, verse 9, in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life. It was in the middle of the garden. The tree of life, also the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which had the forbidden fruit. But in heaven, we don't see any forbidden fruit. We only see fruitful fruit that you can eat. Will we eat in heaven? I believe we're going to eat like never before. I believe this fruit is going to be for the healing of the nations. I don't know what that means. You mean they're going to be sick? No, we're already told. No sickness in heaven. No sickness in heaven. No disease in heaven, but this is for the sustaining of the people of God in heaven. Now, there are a lot of theories as to who the nations are here, and I'm not getting into that this morning, but I do want to point out the main thing here, and that is we in heaven will be human. We'll be human in heaven. We just won't be mortal. How about that? But because we're immortal does not mean we'll be independent. We will be dependent on God in heaven, who not only is a source of life, but will sustain our life. We're told now that we are to, we're to eat every day from God the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. We need our daily bread, amen? And that is God. Thank God he gives us our daily bread, and he also owns the bread factory. We never have to worry about running out of bread. He sustains our life. That's good news because I'm getting older. We were in a restaurant the other day and I thought, man, I must be getting older because my son was complaining about this high-pitched noise that kept going off. Y'all don't hear that high-pitched noise? It's driving me crazy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't hear anything. And then I realized, uh uh-oh, 
Some of y'all just lost your hearing. Like, you can't hear your cell phone going off. We're all like, because you turn your cell phone off. We're on church, but you complain about the music being too loud. We're like, what is going on? You're, you're, we are putting off constantly this old, old, old life, and we're going to have a new life. But thank God, though the outward is perishing. You can laugh at that, all right? You're, 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 the outward's perishing. Y'all are looking at me. I don't know what to say here. Can I remind you that the Apostle Paul said this? He said, for we know that our earthly home is being destroyed. We have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For we in this tent groan. I love that. Because I know what that means now. Because I'm, I'm not getting that old, y'all, but I, I will every once in a while make a noise when I get up from a chair. It's a little bit of a groan. And then he said this, we're going to put off this tent. He called his body a tent. And I know about tents. Y'all know about tents? They sound really fun until you actually stay in one. And then you're like, I'm ready to get rid of this thing. Let's go camping. Sounds great. Till you wake up in Florida wet and mosquito bit. Right? Right? You know what a tent is? And tents, tents, they get old and they have to be replaced. They get wrinkled. They begin to sag. Oh, me. One old guy said, I've got... I've got a problem. What is it? I've got furniture disease. Furniture disease. Yeah, he says, my chest has dropped down into my drawers. <laughs> we're in heaven. We'll be sustained. Yeah, we're never going to have to worry about getting older. I don't know how old we'll be in heaven. Someone asked that question recently, and there's been a lot of questions asked. How old will we be in heaven? I, I don't know how old we'll be, but it won't matter because we won't be getting older. And won't be getting older because he's going to sustain us. And I love the fact that we have this tree of life here with 12 different fruits, which tells us the variety of heaven. Heaven is going to be a place of variety, not just the same old, same old. I'm talking about the variety being the spice of life, the variety being the spice of eternal life. And now, now, he's our sustenance now, y'all. Because there's so many, so many opportunities to engage in this world that take the place of the real sustenance of life. I, I just throw back out one since we're talking about it. Food. For some, food is an elixir. Food can even become a comfort. And I, 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 I love food. Craig, Craig, just they closed down their Chick-fil-A and opened it back up, and I've been to the new one, and I know Carrie's about to close down his, and so I'm trying to get as many spicy chicken sandwiches as I can from there. And when I go um, to Chick-fil-A and I look at the menu and they have kale, I'm like, who orders kale at Chick-fil-A? Do people actually, do y'all still have that? Like, like three a day. Who are these people? Kale reminds me, it rhymes with another word. Heaven, we're going to have spicy chicken sandwiches. It's going to be a variety but food can become an elixir, it can become an idol, it can be something that is a comfort that you turn to, or it can be a disorder. It's amazing to see the statistics on how many young girls have eating disorders because of the way in which the world has made them to feel and to think they look. But that's true of anything. 
That's why the Bible tells us that we ought to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's what we try to regularly do is say, our God is good. Just taste and see. And every substitute for God is a cheap one, and it will never sustain you. What sustains you is seeking first and seeking fervently the Lord God. Why? Look in verse 23. This leads me to my next next point. And uh, I'm not a very good Baptist preacher at this point because I don't have another word that begins with S. So I just add an adjective. Sweet fellowship. <laughs> So he's a source of life, he's a sustenance of life, but look at the sweet fellowship we'll have in heaven. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. When there's the absence of the curse, there's the presence of God. The blessing of the tree will be that we get to eat and why? Fellowship with him in this incredible place called heaven. What is the point here? The point is we will be absent from sin. We'll be present with the Lord. Reminds me of Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But in his law, God's law, does he meditate day and night? He delights that, to, to, to meditate with the Lord, to meditate on the Lord. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who brings forth fruit in the season, whose fruit also shall not wither. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. This is good because when we fellowship with the Lord now, we prosper. When we fellowship with the Lord now, we have delight. Think about what will heaven will be like when there is no sin at all in our way. The reason some of you can't sing is because, well, some of you can't sing. I, I can sing. I can carry a tune. I just can't unload it. I mean, I can. But the reason some of you can't sing, frankly, is because you just don't have ongoing fellowship with the Lord. And when you come into church, you just don't feel like it because you're not faithing it. And the reason you're not faithing it is because sin has gotten in between you and the Lord. Sin is a killer. And God is the healer. And when we get to heaven, no sin. No sin. Right now, we've been saved. If you've been saved and you truly are a born-again believer, um, someone asked me, why do you say that, truly born-again believer, because isn't that redundant? Yeah, it is redundant, but I've come to realize that there are a lot of folks who profess Christ who don't possess Christ. When you really uh, are a believer, you're saved from the penalty of your sin. You're saved from hell. Thank God for that. But you are being saved from the power of sin in your life right now. And because you are because you are, because it's a reality, you're being saved from the power of sin. You are looking for the day when you are saved ultimately from the presence of sin. Like when you're no longer sinning. It's not, someone said it this way, it's not as believers that we're sinless, but we do sin less. We sin less and less as we grow in Christ. Because he who began a good work in you will complete it. And you can't stop what God started. You just have to join him in that work of distancing yourself from sin. To be at home with the Lord is our determination. And he is our destiny. But right now, we are distancing ourselves from sin so that our fellowship is not disrupted. We have to have parents. We have to have our kids with this. I can remember when our kids were growing up. I'm sure I said this to my parents. I haven't confirmed this, but I'm pretty sure I did. I'd say, why did you do that? I don't know. Why did you do that? I don't know. I just can't help it. I heard that so many times, and I'd turn it around, and I would say, well, that's true. You can't help it. And when you are converted, the Spirit of God will come live in you, 
and you'll never have that excuse again. Because when you get saved, you can help it because you have the helper living inside of you. The helper helps you to distance yourself from sin, sinful activity, and desire that presence with God where we will be naked and unashamed, clothed with the righteousness of Christ in sweet fellowship with the Lord that can be enjoyed right now if you just get right with God. We used to sing this song growing up, get right with God and do it now. Get right with God, he'll show you how. Right down at the cross where Jesus shed his blood. Get right with God. Get right with God. You can get right with God. You can confess your sin. You can call out what it is that's wrong in your life and just restore fellowship. Like David said, Lord God, would you restore the joy of your salvation? In heaven, incredible, sweet fellowship with the Lord. Why? Never any sin in between us. Never any sin in between us. Because of that, we'll serve in a very special way. Romans 12 says that we ought to not be like this world, not have our minds conform to this world, but present ourselves as living sacrifice to God, living sacrifice to God. It's reasonable to do that. It's our worship and our service. Well, in heaven, in heaven, when we are no longer sinning, we'll be serving perfectly. Look in verse 3 and 4. No longer will there be anything cursed, but from the throne of God, the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. I have a friend that is in, and when he lived in Kentucky, uh, got a phone call from the governor of the Kentucky, uh, state of Kentucky, and the governor asked him to serve on a task force, in fact, to lead a task force. Lead a task force for the purpose of saving the preborn lives in that state. That's a pretty interesting responsibility, especially when it comes from the governor of the state who says, you'll have all the resources I can give you at your disposal. Suppose today the governor of the state of Florida called you and said, I have a, I have a, I have a job for you to do. You say, this is the governor. You get an unknown call. You're like, it's unknown. Should I answer it? Because you know, that's probably not something I should answer. But you answer it anyway. It's uh, this is Ron. Ron. Yeah. Governor DeSantis. Governor DeSantis. Yeah. I, I got your name uh, and uh, a recommendation. And I, I want to ask you if you'll lead a task force in the state of Florida and you'll have every resource possible to fulfill the task I'm giving you to do. And you hear the task and you know it's a meaningful task and you can't believe that you've been asked to do that, but you know that it is such a meaningful task that you can't say no and you have every resource to pull it off. Well, that's pretty cool. Heaven's going to be like that in spades. In heaven, you're going to receive opportunity to serve in a meaningful way. I remember when school, I used to, I used to love and hate school. I loved, I love school. You know why I love school? Because I got to hang out with my friends. You know what I hated school? Work. It wasn't just the work. It was the busy work. Because I always, I always ask the question, are we getting a grade for this? If I wasn't getting a grade for this, I was like, oh, I don't have to do this. I didn't like busy work. It won't be any busy work in heaven. No unfruitful work in heaven. Everything will be meaningful. You know you're going to work in heaven? Heaven is not a boring place. I mean, we have really to blame that thought that heaven is going to be boring art and music and movies. I mean, if you look at medieval Christian art depicting heaven, you think, that's nowhere I want to go. They don't even have electricity up there. I want you to just think about heaven for a minute. You think our technology is something? People are worried about the technology of the future, AI and whatever might come. Just imagine what technology is going to be like in heaven. 
Just think about the workforce that's going to be in heaven. You're here. Peter's getting a little workforce together. What's he going to do? He's, uh, he's going out to the uh, little sombrero galaxy. That's actually a galaxy, by the way. Yeah, he's heard that the trout are really biting out there. So he wants to go do some work to kind of get ready for uh, you know, some fishing trips out there. And you're kidding me? I'm in. Like heaven's going to be like that? I don't know, but it's going to be better than that. And everything we do in heaven will be meaningful and fruitful. And we'll serve the Lord. You say, well, that's great. That's wonderful. Can't wait to get there. Right now I'm stuck in a dead-end job. No, you're not. Because when we go to heaven and we work for the Lord in the power of His might, we'll do it for His namesake. His name is tattooed on our head. And it's not a literal tattoo. It just means that we're going to be possessed by the Lord. We're, we're going to work for the Lord in heaven. So while in heaven we have His name on our forehead, on earth, His name ought to be in our work. We ought to show up on time. We ought to leave not early. We ought not to take from our employer. We ought not to be salary takers, but salary makers. Our work should testify to Christ. When they workers and employers who are always looking for employees, it seems like today, call the temp agencies. They say, give me somebody who lives for Christ because they're the best workers. Why? Because our meaning for work is not found in the task, but in our master. So therefore, clean your room, not for your mom, but for your Lord. Manage people for the Lord. Secure your IT for the Lord. Write code for the Lord. Make a sandwich like you're making it for the Lord. Treat your clients like you would treat Jesus. Care for your patients like you do your master. Because meaning's not found in what we do, but who we do it for as much as anything. In heaven, meaning. No wonder Jesus told the story about one who had done little. He'd done a lot with a little, but because of that, because he'd done a lot with a little, the Lord said, enter into the joy of your master. Heaven's going to be a place of joyful service in which we will get rewarded for what we've done here for the Lord. And do it in joy. Do whatever you do here in joy. It might mean that others don't give you a lot of credit for what you do. No one here might give you credit for what you give, what you contribute financially. No one here may give you credit for the way you serve at vacation and Bible school. They might laugh at the car you drive because you've chosen to stay home and raise those kids and you don't drive the nicest car, and you don't have the nicest clothes, and you don't have the newest shoes. But there will be reward in heaven. And meaning is not found in what you do, but who you do it for. Joy will be a meaningful service to our king then. And I'm going to tell you, joy is a meaningful service to our king now. Can I get an amen for somebody? I'm almost finished. You know, years ago, you could go to the store and you could see where there would be a product and you could buy the good product, you could buy the better product, or you could buy the best product. We don't do it so much that way now. We do it with stars. How many stars is this product rated? Can I get to the five-star rating? I mean, all of this has been five-star, but this is where it gets really best. And that is, look at verse 24. They will see his face. I don't always ask you to talk out loud in church, but would you just say it out loud to yourself right now? I'll see his face. Say it. I'm going to see his face. This is, this is why Paul had a dilemma. 
Because he'd walk by faith, but he couldn't wait to walk by sight. He knew to live as Christ and to die as gain. And if the first part of that is true for you, then the last part's true. For you now to live as Christ, then when dying happens, it will be gain for you. Death is not some evil word that we have to stay away from. We, well, we stay away from that word. We stay away from that thought on this earth, don't we? We don't even call funerals funerals anymore because we're afraid that maybe somebody might think that while we're at that funeral, someone that we're talking about actually died. But we will. And when we die, we'll see with the Lord. He said, we're going to see the Lord. Are we going to heaven when we die? No, we're not going to heaven right when we die. We're going to be with the Lord. Heaven's later. But we will, when we die, be with the Lord. We will be with the Lord. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. I know if to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I'm going to put this tent off. I'm going to be with the Lord. And every believer has a desire to see him. Don't you? If I'm on a long trip, especially if I'm somewhere like India or Africa, I want to come home. And when I get home, it's not like I want to go out to the garage and go, oh, I missed you, smelly garage. I don't even really want to pet my dog. I don't go into my bedroom and go, oh, I missed my closet. Hug my bride, my baby. Baby, I missed you. I'm so glad to be home. For me, being home is being there with my wife. That's heaven. Well, are the streets going to be gold? Yeah. Are they going to be crystal clear? Yeah. What we fight over here, we're going to walk on there. But does that matter? No. Because we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see God for the first time. And then we see this. He's going to shine, shine on us, shine on us. Look in verse 25. And the Lord will be, excuse me, night, night will be no more. We won't need a lamp or sun. The Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And right off the bat, you're thinking, this is great. The glory of God's going to light that city, but it's even better than we can imagine because we're going to be living in the pleasure of the Lord where his face is shining on us, meaning he's pleased with us. And I'm going to tell you something growing up. I love my dad. I'm respectful of my dad. I always wanted to please my dad. I never wanted to displease my dad. I never wanted to hear my dad say, Scott, I'm really disappointed in you. When I get to heaven, I'll never have to hear my father in heaven say, I'm disappointed in you. His face will shine on me. He'll shine on you. I used to crack up at the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, every time the Gators would win a big game. He'd say, yep, the good Lord shined down on us today. But there will be a day when that really matters. And it's really true. And it's not only then, it's now. There's a blessing that Moses prays. Number six, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and you be gracious and be gracious to you. And, and may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. What a promise. I just kind of wrote this with Revelation in mind. I, the entire Revelation 22 here doesn't fit within the blessing that Moses prayed, but I do know and believe that the shining of the face of the Lord is not just simply about him lighting the city, but his pleasure on his people. Number says, the Lord bless you and keep you in number 624. Revelation 22 says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. 
Numbers says, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Revelation says, they will see his face and his name will be in their foreheads and night will be no more. And they'll no longer need lamp or sun. It means that he will be their God, will be his people. Numbers says, the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Revelation says, there'll be no more night, there'll be light. Revelation tells us he will be with us in chapter 6 of Numbers. So shall they put their name in them. My put, excuse me, so shall I put my name in my people of Israel and I will bless them. Name's going to be in us. All throughout eternity, we'll look up at our Father. He's going to be pleased. He's going to be pleased. I'm looking forward to that day. That day's today, by the way. I remember Junior Hill, who's been here before, telling a story about a man who had two little boys. They, uh, they grew up a little differently. One little boy was very bright, ambitious, always overachieving. Another little boy, the brother, had a brain deformity and he didn't develop like he was normally supposed to. One day, his uh, oldest son, who was the uh, overachiever, very bright, intelligent, graduated from, with, his, with his graduate's degree. And he hugged that boy and said, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. So pleased, so proud. You've done well with what God's gifted you with. And while he was hugging, Junior Hill said, that boy, the other boy, grown now but never developed, his mind just couldn't, was playing with his shoe. And when he looked down at that boy, that little boy looked up, who was now a grown man, and said, Dad, I just learned how to tie a shoe. And that dad grabbed that, that boy and hugged him and said, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. And I remember that because I was a young, young guy when Junior Hill told that story. And I thought, I don't think I'll ever forget that. And I haven't ever forgot that story. Because it doesn't matter what you're gifted with or how you're gifted by God. All that matters is, are you using your gift for the Lord. Do you even know what your spiritual gift is? If not, we'll help you understand it. Because there's coming a day you will be rewarded for how you've used what God's gifted you with. Whether you're as gifted as anyone else doesn't matter because there's no comparison in the kingdom of God. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit with a spiritual gift for the body that will be rewarded. And one day in heaven, that gift will be on spiritual steroids where you'll be there serving the Lord with meaning, pleasing the Lord forever. And that's going to happen then. It can happen now. How are you using your time, your resources, your money, your energy to please the Lord? And so Paul said, we aim to please the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, knowing we're going to put off this body, knowing we're going to put off this tent, knowing we're going to be the Lord, we make it our aim to please the Lord. Is that your aim? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us this text a little bit about heaven today, about which is to come. Thank you that now we can celebrate in this time of invitation and, and celebration in, in, in the communion. Bless this time as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you-